You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. In this town, there is no off-season. The news never stops, and neither do we. It's always game day in Cleveland with Andy Baskin and Daryl Leiter. It's always game day in Cleveland. We're always excited to be with you, and we're glad you are. And if you like what you're listening to, subscribe. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. Um, Daryl, we're going to have a little bit of fun over the next two episodes of this show because I think we're both Marvel fans, right? You're a Marvel fan, aren't you? Big, big Marvel fan. Okay, just make it sure. Although, I got to tell you, I'm not really into this multiverse thing. I'm I'm having trouble (laughs) digesting it. I think after... But we're going to kind of go multiverse for this particular set of podcasts this week this is true but this isn't wandavision my friend this is not wandavision this is is gonna take us back in time (laughs) this is the what if what if editions of uh game day and cle so i i daryl you came up with a bunch of topics here uh we're gonna float right along and and talk about things in brown's history what if what if they happened what if they didn't happen and where we're moving, uh, I guess, where we would be right now, what if, what if, what if. So, Daryl, I'm going to let you have that ball right now. I'm going to hike it over to you. Yeah, so a uh, little, little spoof on the Marvel's What If series here, and we're doing a Browns version of it. And just like a regular NFL season, we have 17 episodes of What If, and episode number one in okay. Maskin, What yes. If... Art Modell did not fire Paul Brown and Jim Brown did not retire. Ooh, what a great way to start off the what ifs. All right. So this is game one of what if for us. Um, when I look at this and, and I, the, my immediate thought was why was art so reluctant on letting Jim just finish his movie and come on in. Think about it today. Today, if that happened, Jim Brown would have played probably another five, ten years for the Cleveland Browns. And I don't think there's any question, and I think they probably would have come back and won another championship here or there. Paul Brown was such a staple, and he, and to me, I look at him as, you know, he's the grandfather of football as I look at it, and it's hard not to drive around Northeast Ohio and not think about him or anywhere in the state when you go down to Cincinnati. It actually makes me sad to think that the legacy that he built here in Cleveland made its way down to Cincinnati. And I it, and sometimes it's it's heartbroken. It, it breaks my heart when I think about Paul Brown, when I think about Woody Hayes, I think about all that, that Maslin tie to the history of the game and, and what Paul Brown was all about. Um, I, I think this was the beginning of Art Modell's 
um, ridiculous way of running the organization and the franchise. He was a marketing guy who deserves all kinds of credit for Monday Night Football. But when it came to running the team and understanding exactly what he had and the future, if you look at where the game is right now, um, he had no idea. He was clueless. And I'll never understand why Art moved the team. But just going back to the going back to the initial question here, one, I do think the Browns would have won multiple championships if Jim Brown, if they just would have let him finish the stupid movie and come back. And, you know, Jim, to me, Jim will always be the greatest running back of all time, but that's because I'm a Browns homer. Um, Paul Brown would have led this team, you know, into the future, and I think things would have been great. So, you know, I just circle Art Modell as just the, the biggest knucklehead in sports. What do you think? Uh, 100% agree with you. I think that uh, had Paul Brown been able to continue on uh, as the head coach and Jim Brown uh, did not uh, basically be forced into retirement uh, over uh, over his movie career, absolutely, I think that the Browns would have won more championships. And the, the, uh, the New York Yankees vibe and aura that the Cleveland yep. Browns had prior to Art Modell coming in and taking over the team, I think would have carried forward instead of basically ending in 1965 when they lost that NFL championship game to the, uh, the Green Bay Packers. Next up on what if, what if Brian Sype wasn't intercepted by Lester Hayes in January of 1981? Uh, you know, it's interesting when I moved to Montana, I got to talk to Lester about this. Uh, we were playing in a charity softball game against each other. And it was, it was interesting. Uh, I think the first part that was super interesting to me was that, um, Lester had a stutter. I don't know if you remember this. No, I don't, I don't know if you remember this. So I, think I was four years old when this happened. By So the way. what was weird was when Lester would get on camera, he had a really bad stuttering problem. But when you, like, I was shocked when I first talked because he didn't stutter when I was talking to him off camera. So it just kind of shows you um the nerves that that I think sometimes the being in on the media or being a part of the media can give some folks and, and stressful. Um I remember being at that game. Hang on one second. <coughs> um I was at that game with my father who worked for the Browns at the time and my dad ran a scoreboard and it was so cold. Man, it was cold. I remember um I remember being there and seeing Al Davis and my dad was like that's Al Davis over there and I was like wow and you know, in 81, I was, what, 14, 15, somewhere in there. And, and it was so cold that Al Davis had snot running down his nose. And that was like, I just wanted to hand him a Kleenex because he, he couldn't stop. Um, that game and those seasons to me were really special because of, you know, b because of the era of the team and, you know, where I was as a teenager, I think. And, you know, I wish they would have won that game. I think we all wish they would have won that game. Um, but it, it's just sad, you know, you go back and you think about, how they weren't able to uh, finish that off. Brian Sype had such a great season. Oh man, you know they were eleven and five that year, um, and there were just so I many won guys. The MVP that year, did he not? Uh, yeah, and, and Sype was just on fire that year. I mean, he ended up with, you know, it's funny we look at it now. His quarterback record that year was eleven and five, and he completed uh, three hundred thirty-seven of five hundred fifty-four attempts, which now seems like nothing, right? And you had both Pruitts and Cleo Miller and. Charles White was on that team. I remember he came to um, Cleveland Heights and talked to us. And there was just so many names from that team that, you know, Reggie Rucker, I became friends with a long time after that. And Dave Logan, who was my hero. We were just talking about him the other day with my family. And, um, you know, I love that team. And, you know, and it was just so um, 
it, it was heartbreaking when they lost. I remember not wanting to go to school the next day. Um, but man, if they would have won, I, I don't know. I, you know, think about it. Marty Schottenheimer was a def- defensive coordinator on that team too. And, and, and maybe that's why, why Art started to panic a little bit too. Cause he thought, you know, here he is, here was one shot and he, he knew somewhere down the road that he might not, you know, I, I know it would take some time, but it took a lot of time for them to get back there, you know, more than what, uh, well, it took four years to get back, but I, I just, I, I don't know. I look at that team and that game in particular and how close it was. And, you know, I think they could have won. They could have gone farther in the playoffs if they, but you know, you throw one bad pass and one guy slips, one guy falls as we found in Brown's history can make a huge difference. Speaking of guys sliding, what if, Episode three, Mark Jackson does not make the sliding catch of John Elway's pass in the end zone in January 1987, and the officials actually called Carlos's kick correctly in overtime. <laughs> it's another painful moment in Brown's history. I, I mean, I wish we didn't have so many of these. And another game I was on the field for with my dad. I mean, he used to sneak me in to all this stuff, and um, I, I, it's painful. It's painful to think that these are our memories more than Do anything. Do the Browns win the Super Bowl? Do the Browns go on to win the Super Bowl? I, I think so. I thought they were the best team in the league that year. I think they should have won that Super Bowl that, that year. And Man, just one play, right? I mean, how many times are we saying one play? We're still doing that now. Yes, right, Daryl? We, we're talking about one play. Play on a, on a weekly basis, we do that. Yeah. But even go back. I mean, look at Baker Mayfield, right? We'll get one to him. Play, one play against Kansas City, right? Yeah. One defensive play against Kansas City, and that team's in the AFC Championship. And it mirrors the image of what we saw in the 80s um, when the Browns had a chance to, you know, to get to AFC Championships and almost get to the Super Bowl, almost this, almost that. So, yeah, I mean, if you're going to ask me about any of these teams, I'm going to say, yeah, they would have gone on to the Super Bowl and won. They all would have won the Super Bowl. We've been- Thank you for understanding the premise of the bet. Yes, they they all would have won Super Bowls in that. It's just it's hard because when we do the what if to go back to that painful memory in history, you know, wouldn't it be great? Uh, it was Hot Tub Time Machine already did this for us, didn't they? Correct. Hot Tub yes, Time I, Machine. I believe a squirrel ran on the field in Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> <laughs> we need more squirrels. <laughs> Where was the rally squirrel? In, oh, we uh, needed that. January of 87. So that's that's the the, the first batch. The, the first, first batch. Okay, I, I can't wait for the first, for the next one. Oh, the first I, I three episodes. I kind of jumped the gun on you, Hot Tub you, Time Machine, you, didn't I? You you, you did. You you, you kind of did, but I'm that's sorry. okay. What, no, what? Give me your thoughts on the what ifs. What if? I mean, yeah, you know, you've covered um, this team long enough to know some of this stuff. Yeah, I know. Trust me, I, I I remember the the drive like it was yesterday, and I agree with you. I, I thought that the Browns were the best team that year. And I do think they would go on to win the Super Because remember, each of those three years that the Broncos beat the Browns, they ended up getting waxed in the Super Bowl. It wasn't until later in Elway's career did the Broncos finally get over the hump and actually win a Super Bowl. And maybe that was the penance for them beating the Browns was they go on to lose the Super Bowl. But yeah, right. I, I, I agree with you. I, I that. Um, that 86, that 86, 87 Browns team, I think was the closest of the three AFC championship game teams, uh, to, to being complete enough to actually go on and win the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, 
Well, I guess no. I, I See, what we're trying to do, though, is we're trying to turn <laughs> these painful memories into positives. Because it's great hearing you reflect on like your childhood and, and yeah. going down to the stadium and being with your dad. Even though these, even though these were heartbreaking moments in Brown's history, they were great moments in your own personal life. And also great moments for fans in the sense of it's, you know, these moments are why Browns fans are so passionate about their team and are still in love with their team and able to pass on the tradition of being Browns fans from one generation to the next. It's not so much how it ended, but everything that kind of built up to get there. Similar for me in my childhood, the Indians teams of the 90s. They never won a World Series, but man, there were so so many special moments and so many special seasons that occurred. And it's a shame that we look back on these eras and we just think of, well, they never won a Super Bowl championship. So it takes away from a lot of the special times that it occurred. So that is the first three episodes. Yes. And coming up, we will go through the next three and we're like i said we're, over the next two podcasts we've got 17 moments in brown's history in which we are going to try and turn the not so good things that happened into wonderful memories for brown's fan and what if boy i keep thinking i'm looking at some of these coming up down the road here I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to hearing your i really want your opinion on a couple of these here too so i can't wait all right what if the what if edition uh, we are three in, and we have, what, 14 to go. So hang tight. More of the podcast coming up here. Uh, it's always game day in Cleveland. What if Browns edition? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He is Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. All right, we're playing the What If Browns edition game. Uh, earlier, we talked about Art Modell. If he didn't fire Paul Brown, Jim Brown, Brian Sipe. We talked about the interception in 81. We talked about John Elway in 87. Oh, these are all miserable moments in history. Daryl, let's uh, let's take the ride. Let's go into number four. Here we go. What if Ernest Biner doesn't fumble at the one at Mile High Stadium in January of 1988? How would Brown's history be different? Uh, we would. Um, Ernest Biner would have been on the team longer. That for sure. We never would have saw him play in Washington. To me, Ernest is still beloved by Browns fans, and I love seeing that when I do these alumni events, and, uh, and especially the Legends Club. And, you know, whenever we have Ernest on the show, I always appreciate his time. And I love the fact that Browns fans realize that there was much more to that game than a fumble. And Ernest had such a great game, and it just still breaks my heart that the fumble happened. 
you know, if he just gets in the end zone, we go on, we win the Super Bowl, and and everything's good. So uh, that what if would have been real easy. But I, I love the fact that Browns fans still adore Ernest to this day, and we're willing to. You know, we all talk about the fumble and the drive, and you know, the fumble is just it. It, it really should have been meaningless when you think about how great Ernest was in that game. Yeah, he he was. Uh, I, I remember that game like it was yesterday. I mean, he was just trucking Broncos all afternoon long and also people don't uh, tend to forget that that touchdown if i remember correctly would have tied the game with the extra point it would not have put the browns in the lead but i think if he scores there the browns do find a way uh to, to win that game but that again another magical season another magical uh postseason run that unfortunately ended in uh, in bitter heartbreak. Up next, another big one. What if, as Art Modell went panhandling so he could pay Andre Risen, what if Al Lerner bought the Browns from Art Modell in 1995? Wow. I, that, I think... Um... I've never really thought about that one. I've always moved it forward to the the point of sale. Um, I think the Browns would have turned the corner, especially. And I don't know how much was MBNA worth at that point, so I, I don't know about the money factor there. But I'm sure that that the Lerner family had the money to do what they needed to do at that point. Well, he that. was keep, remember he was keeping Art afloat. Yeah, and um, that was that was a big part of his frustration and why he helped put together that that arrangement with Baltimore to move the Browns to Maryland. Right. He he put that stadium deal together for art and his main motivation was he got tired of fronting the cash and art not having the means to pay him back. And this was a way for Al Lerner and, and Al got the expansion team and it's, it's why I, um, I hate the fact that there's an Al Lerner statue in Berea because Al Lerner was a big, big part of the Cleveland Browns moving. He wanted to get paid. And then on the back end, he ultimately got rewarded with the expansion franchise. But yeah, I mean, Al Lerner was a driving force besides Art Modell's ineptitude as a businessman. Right. was a driving force for the team leaving in 95 after well, I, Art refused to sell. Well, the first what if part of this is the what if part is Daryl Ryder wouldn't have any animosity towards the learners because Art would have just sold to Al and that would have been the end of it, right? Wouldn't that have been the simplest thing they could have done here? And then the league could have awarded an expansion franchise to Baltimore and somebody else that could have bought it. I mean, go back and look and think about how stupid the whole thing was. You ripped a franchise away from a city that that deserved a franchise, was selling out tickets, or was selling out the stadium. Was I mean, just diehard fans. And all they had to do was go, you know what, Art? You really want to sell this team? And you, you eventually we're going to give this to Lerner. Um, you know what? It, you're not a good businessman. I know you want to give this to your kids. When it's all said and done, your kid's not going to get it anyway. You're going to have to sell the franchise. You know, the, the what if there should have been, what if somebody would have just smacked Art Modell in the face and said, Art, you can't afford the team if you're borrowing money from Al Lerner to get Andre Risen. So how about just sell the team to Al in the first place? That's yeah, and, the great what if. And, you know, Art ultimately, even with getting his free stadium in Maryland, because the whole thing was he wanted to pass the team on to his evil son, David Modell. I say evil lovingly. Um, and he had to sell the team anyway. Got his stadium in Maryland. Had to sell out to Biscotti. 
He that's how much Art Modell sucked as an owner, and this is why he's up again for the Hall of Fame uh, on the contributors category. And I say anyone that forced the greatest running back of all time to retire, fired two of the greatest coaches in NFL history, and Paul Brown and Bill Belichick, ripped a bedrock fa- uh, franchise out of a city. Also, that he could try and maintain his family inheritance, which he had to give up anyway. That's not a Hall of Fame owner. I don't care how many promotions he came up for the NFL. I don't care how how Look, many. I mean, really, he was the guy that I mean, he just kind of forced Monday Night Football out there. Yeah, and, that, and it is a big claim, reason. That's his know. positive claim to fame. If you think about it, nothing else. Art Mo- and hiring Ozzie Newsome, former Browns Hall of Fame tight end, to run right. the Ravens organization, and Ozzie Two. ended up. At drafting a ton of uh, you know Hall of Famers uh, for Baltimore, but the most sickening image was Art Modell standing next to Paul Tagliabue and holding up the Vince Lombardi Trophy uh, with him wearing purple and gold and black and red and whatever other colors they no, wear. I just I remember him sitting next to Glenn Denning the day they they were sitting in Maryland at the site of the new stadium, and I was. Just I like, had no other choice no you did you should have sold to al earlier and then maybe taking your money and 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 bought and found new investors and gone to baltimore you could have done that too all right what do you got for number three in this one what if cleveland was willing to wait a few extra years for the browns to return maybe they come into the back into the league with the houston texans in 2002 what happens what if instead of the rush job of getting the team on the field and the stadium built by 1999 did not happen. Um, I, I think they're a better team. I don't, I think they have more than one playoff win right now. If they just would have waited and not been such a big hurry, wouldn't have been in a big hurry to put the stadium back up. Wouldn't have been, I, I understand. I wanted a team back so bad. I hated Sundays while they were gone. I hated the league. I hated everything about the NFL. I was so mad that the Browns were gone, but if they just would have taken a deep breath and waited and thought a little bit harder about if they would have done it right, this is the key too. I mean, we all know how the politics of politics and how goofy it would have been. And they, you know, they probably could have screwed things up and we would have ended up with no franchise at all. But I, I, I wish they would have taken their time. Plus I also thought that there was a, there was a bitterness towards how quick Jacksonville and Carolina were able to, come into the league, get good draft picks and have an impact early. And they were going to take it out on the Browns. They were like, well, we're not letting those teams have those kind of picks again. And we're not going through that. So yeah, I think Jacksonville that, and Carolina made their respective conference championship games right away. I know. And that hurt the Browns because the other owners didn't want to see that anymore. They didn't want to see another expansion team be able to do that. So if you look at the handcuffs that the learners had compared to those two franchises, um, I, I don't think it would have been the same. I think, this is I remember great... they were hiring scouts in August, and the season was a month away. Yeah. They were they were trying to they were trying to find anyone <laughs> that was willing to scout for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I mean, it, it just it was such a um, it was such a rush job. The Lerner family, uh, the late Al Lerner, took a lot of heat for the the hodgepodge uh, startup. I mean. Uh, he had no runway. I think it was eight months to to kind of get things together. Him and Carmen Policy. They brought in Bernie to kind of be the the. They you I I I will say this, and Bernie might disagree. And I you know I love and respect Bernie a lot. I kind of feel like the learners used Bernie, 
And I don't mean that in a positive way. I think that they used Bernie a bit uh, to kind of like be their 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 face and, and kind of get people uh, excited about whatever it is they were doing. Um, but, you know, Carmen policy came in with unrealistic expectations and uh, they got a rude awakening in that in that opener. You know, I remember that training camp when Carmen was hinting at making a potential playoff run. And it's like at this point, you're hoping you can complete a pass. And then they played the Steelers in that opener uh, in 1999. And the Steelers just absolutely beat the crap out of them and, and laughed them off the field. And it was just it. It was the expansion Browns experience encapsulized in those four quarters. And it's kind of been that way uh, ever since. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think that everything would have uh, it would have started up much uh, smoother had uh, Lerner been given more time to put an organization together. The stadium probably wouldn't be falling apart today if they actually took the time to really come up with something that was uniquely Cleveland and some, instead of just that cookie cutter concrete bowl that they threw down. Um, and uh, yeah, it just, I, I think that that whole thing changed the trajectory of the expansion Browns in a very, very negative way. And I, I in some respects, even with all the first round picks, the Browns have had over the years, it just kind of feels like in some respects that, today still has ripple effects with, with, with the team, even though the ownership's different, even though the front offices have changed a thousand times, the coaching staffs have changed a thousand times. We've had 30 different quarterbacks and, 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 and whatnot. It just, it really feels like that it set the tone. You know what I'm saying? Set the tone for the franchise and they just never really recovered. Now we get to start having some fun though. No, 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 no. Hey, hang on. Hang on. I got one. What if based on this, we'll do it next segment. Um, And I think you'll enjoy it. And I think it's going to be a very interesting thing. What if, what if the learners didn't get the team and another group did? And I'm going to tell you who I think that other group was next. It's the what if edition of it's always game day in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. If you like what you're listening to subscribe to the show back with more after this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's always game day in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. All right, we left you with a little bit of a cliffhanger there on the Browns coming back and we all know the learners got the bid, but there were other groups out there. Um, Daryl, the, what if I have is if, what if the Dolans would have bought the Browns? I don't know. I don't know if they would have had the operating capital to run the franchise early on. I think it might've been art model 2.0. Cause like the, one of the biggest problems with the Indian slash guardians that fans complain about is that they work within their, budgetary constraints that they they run it like a, a family business now they run it exceptionally well as a family business and they they have stability they step out of the way and allow people to do their jobs the people that they hire are very good at their jobs 
Um, I just, I wonder if they could have had the financial wherewithal early on to operate the franchise at the level it needs. Because Al Lerner spared no expense. Right. The Haslam's have never spared any expense whatsoever. So we can talk about the results on the field all we want. But the bottom line is, is both of those ownership groups for the Browns spent what was what they felt was requested or required to try and be competitive. And I don't know that the Dolans would have had the ability to do that. See, I think it would have been a little bit different because I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, because I think this is right. It was Larry and Charles Dolan together yeah i don't i don't remember those groups I, I'm, so I, let's just say they were together unlike how they run the indians you know paul's running the indians his side of the family ran the indians right. they have nothing to do with msg um yeah but the and, knicks are a cluster you know oh i know and that's you know that's like the crazy part of it it was it's almost like if you had all the, the knicks money are the browns of the, of the nba <laughs> let's be honest about yeah, it. yeah no i'm with you on that i i just think if they had the money together and they let Larry run the um, the operation. Larry and Paul run the operation. They would have had stability, which would uh, yeah, it would have been. I just think it would have been a better situation for us. Now again, I don't know what you would have got out of the New York Dolans, you know, and that that's the problem. And you brought it up with MSG in the mix and uh, the Knicks, sorry, and you know, having an owner that wants to go off and sing and yell at people who are yelling at him while he's singing. But um, you know, I, I look at it was I, I wish. Or kick I out wish... all the gamers from the arena and banish them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was another brilliant move. Um, I wish they are. I still wonder what it would have been like if the, the great what if, I think, is if the Dolans got the Browns and the Learners took over the Indians. Well, this leads into the what if Chris Palmer never referred to the 2000 season as a runaway train, which ultimately led Carmen Policy to freak the you know what out. Right. Send him packing and go get Butch Teeny Tiny Fracture of a Nile Weight Bearing Bone, Butch Davis. But Butch was the only guy to get him to the playoffs. That's the scary thing prior to you know last year. And then I what mean, happened? Butch had after, see- and then what happened after the playoff season? They well, got the salary the cap hell and everything went to you know what. <laughs> yeah, well, there was that problem. And um, they didn't recover since. My no. contention is that Chris Palmer had it right. Because a lot of what Butch Davis inherited was kind of built by Chris Palmer. And granted, Butch brought in his own quarterbacks and whatnot, but I think that Palmer had the right idea. And because that kind of, that, that, I think that quote freaked Carmen policy out. Because again, Carmen came in thinking, "Hey, we're gonna just, you know, we're gonna do what the Jaguars and Panthers did, and we're gonna make the playoffs early on, and this is gonna be easy and and whatnot." And um, you know, Palmer looked at it as a four to five year plan for putting a team together. And what happened in year four? The Cleveland Browns made the playoffs at nine and seven. Thank you, Run William Run. Yeah, yeah, they did. I, I the the what if there though? I still, I mean, what if they would have just stayed with Chris? You're right. I, I think they would have had more success. Don't you? Yeah, I hundred percent think yeah. they had more success. And uh, yeah. so I wonder why Carmen just freaked out on that. And well, by the way, he ex- also he also picked a really bad GM. Yeah, I mean his expecta- his his expectations, uh, you know, were so off. And and remember, they had a they had such a hard time. Like it was like so many Browns coaching searches. Like Chris Palmer was, was like the twentieth guy on the list. Remember that? 
Yeah, yeah we went through that twice, right? Yeah. Mike Patton was the same way. Mm-hmm. All right, what if Dennis Northcutt catches that third down pass in the AFC wildcard game against the Steelers in January of 2003, speaking to the Brownies in the playoffs? Uh, if he does, the Browns go on to win uh, the next three Super Bowls. That, I, I guarantee you, that would have happened. Wow. They would have won the next three Super Bowls. And who who is the quarter, who would be the quarterback? Tim Couch or Kelly Holcomb? Uh, Tim Couch. remember... Tim Couch got hurt. Kelly yeah, would have been Tim. That game, and that's what uh, again that yeah. that whole situation teed off the spinning of the quarterback carousel in Cleveland. You know what's crazy about that? That was that might have been one of the wildest forty-eight hour periods in Cleveland, Columbus, Ohio State Browns history. Right? Ohio State wins the national championship right before that because I remember I was in. Uh, I was in Glendale. Glendale. Yeah, I was in Glendale for that. And man, it was just, and I was there as a fan. It was so fantastic to sit in the stands, not have to work. I sat there with my brother-in-law and I just remember not wanting to leave the stadium because finally the team that I had rooted for my whole life had won a championship in my lifetime. I remember being on the couch sick as a dog for that game. And so I was laying on the couch in my apartment. I watched the game and Ohio State won. And I laid there. I didn't know how to react. I was like, how's that one? Oh, how's they won the national championship? What the hell do I do now? What do I do? <laughs> we got to run to the sporting goods store and buy as much memorabilia right. as we possibly can because we think this is never going to happen again. So remember, I, that was just such a crazy. Yeah, it was. And, and I remember watching the game with like uh, everybody in, in Cleveland and Columbus media that was at the at the Ohio State game. We we're like, oh, my God, the Browns are going to do this, man. Look how good they look. They, are you kidding? They're going to win this game. And then yeah. pff, second half. Yep. And this, this, the last one, what if of this particular podcast, and we're going to continue oh. this uh, in, in our, uh, our podcast later this week. Um, this is another biggie. What if the Browns drafted Ben Roethlisberger instead of Kellen Winslow Jr. in 2004? Wow. We would have been good. I, you know, the, the vision I have now, is that I don't know who the third wide receiver was, but when you think about it, in that era, uh, you had Joe Jaravicious, Braylon Edwards, and Kellen together, and I thought they were the best threesome we've had as any. Could you imagine Ben having Joe Jaravicious and having Braylon Edwards to be able to throw to? And I don't know, Ben Ben just made us eat it his entire career. The good thing is, and I I read this on social media, um, the last playoff game ever at Heinz Field was won by the Browns. So that's all that really matters. If you want to look at it from Brown's <laughs> skewed history. Yeah, Heinz, Heinz Field. What, what What's the new name of it, by the way? Accusure? No yeah, something like Accusure? that. Accusure? Yeah. I, I, whatever. Yeah. That's so, a good tidbit, though. The Browns won the last playoff game at Heinz Field. That's and, right. And Roethlisberger lost his last. No, he didn't. They Because he they, they won. Did, did, did. Last home. Home. Last home playoff game. So. Home playoff game. I don't know what, what what if Roethlisberger would have been drafted by the Browns. What if? You I tell me. I think that he would have gone on to have the same Hall of Fame career, and the Browns would have ended up winning a at least one Super Bowl, and we would not have seen thirty damn starting quarterbacks since nineteen ninety nine, and we would not have had a different starting quarterback in Week One every damn year too. Daryl, I've already looked ahead of the topics for our next podcast. <laughs> 
I am la- I am laughing at some I've of these got, topics. I, I've, for I've the got next some one. doozies here. I, I've come up with some doozies. All right. Well, if you enjoyed the first half of What If, wait till you hear part two, Revenge of What If. No, just straight up What If part two. And we're going to do that uh, on the next episode, which should drop on Thursday. Uh, you want to talk about this has been fun. I'm enjoying this and I can't wait. We're not really halfway through. This is awesome. Well done, Daryl. Well done. All right. If you enjoy the show, why don't you uh, why don't you subscribe to the show? We'd love to have you. Give us a bunch of stars if you can. Uh, and we really do appreciate everybody who's been listening. And it's been fun, man. I can't tell you the response we've had from the podcast so far. And it's just, as Daryl and I have both said before, it's a, it's just a different world for us just because it's so relaxed and so much fun. And there's just like zero pressure. And we love hearing from you as well. So, all right, Daryl, you want a final thought on this one or just let's get to the next one? Let's get to the next one. I have dipped into the bag of, um, we're going to call it the WTF bag. Because that's, oh, okay. what, that's what we're getting into now. We're going from th- th- this episode was kind of like the heartbreak bag. And now we're going to, the next what if is basically the WTF bag. Okay. There's a lot of WTF in this next episode. So you, you'll want to be hanging on pins and needles for it to drop Thursday morning. All right. So you're only a couple days away. Thank you for listening. Again, if you want to be a part of the show, hit us up on Instagram or Twitter at GameDayCLE. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin for our producer, Meredith Kane. Thanks again for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cleveland.